Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. our short informal introduction. Hello and welcome to another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast In Bed with Nick and Megan. And by internationally acclaimed, I mean, I think it's pretty good. Starring the starry-eyed Nick Offerman. Hola. <laughs> Today, all in Spanish. And his English-speaking wife, Megan Mullally. But, and today, featuring the glamorous, handsome, also starry-eyed, Mr. Alec Baldwin. Standing ovation in the studio. Now, what I noticed, because we are your audience. Now, this is an audio podcast, right? We're only going to play the sound. That's mm-hmm. right. But because we're Zooming, as most people are um, uh, these days, uh, uh, I can see the two of you. And Nick, you look 15, 20 years younger. You look like you're ready to do the remake of G.I. Jane. Holy shit. <laughs> Thank you, you so the much. haircut. He's shaved. He looks like he looks focused. Well, you know, um, Megan, uh, I'm, I'm usually protected by a, an acting role, you know, playing w- whichever Mr. Natural uh, I happen to be on board with. But when I don't have a job, Megan has a couple of needs. One of them is she apparently doesn't like a face full of thistles to rub up against her face and other uh, body regions. <laughs> but also she says... When my hair grows out, it makes my head look much too large, and so she likes to see my head shape. You and I come from that same cranial school. Oh, your head is gigantic. We have a we have a Celtic. We have what I call cinder head. It's like a cinder. (laughs) (laughs) It's a doorstop. Yeah, it's 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 truly (laughs) an edifice. In medieval times, they chop your head off and they'd use it as a doorstop. You know what I mean? <laughs> For the castle, which was a heavy door. It's a heavy door. <laughs> you know, but I, I I, heard a long time ago that they, they say for real that a lot of famous people have gigantic heads. And you two are no exception. Yeah. Now, Megan, you, you got a pretty normal size. You, you got a good-sized head. You got a good-sized head. It's not For a famous tiny, comedy chick, no. you have a decent-sized head. It's, it's yeah. heaven's apricot. <laughs> Could you two be any more in love? It's just, it's magical. Now, okay, I've lost track. Are there are there four extant children and one on the way? 
or three <laughs> and one on the way. I'm going to name Four. my next child Extant Baldwin. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> name the name next kid Extant Baldwin. <laughs> He's Extant. Um, we have, I have my older daughter, Ireland, from when I was married before. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then I have uh, my wife, Ilari, and I have four children, and we're having another child. My wife is a collector. Some people collect mm-hmm. cars. <laughs> some people collect coins and stamps. <laughs> my wife collects babies. She likes to have well, babies. Well, you have the most adorable babies I've ever seen in my life. It's insane. That's the problem, really. It really is true. You really like, mm-hmm. once they become one and a half, and they start to kind of, you know, chime in with their opinion and they start to, uh, re, you know, re- respond a certain way. We almost automatically look at each other at the same time and go, time to have another one. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's, it's like a lease on a car, you know, it was like time to trade it in, get a new one. <laughs> well, congratulations on the uh, impending arrival. Now, what are you two creative furnaces? I think of the two of you as two creative kind of thorium reactors of creativity. What are the two of you doing during the uh, uh, the plague here? What are the two of you doing every day? Well, I don't want to disappoint you, but we're 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 not being as you know nearly as exciting as as you've imagined. Um, that's not to say it's a complete wash, but um, I mean, well, I mean, at, at the moment we are hosting international superstar beefcake Alec Baldwin <laughs> in our dining room, uh, which honestly has nothing. been an incredible saving grace. We feel so lucky because the one thing that is making people crazy, the the isolation and, and the sense of, of loneliness and, and, and sort of claustrophobia, we have the great fortune of defeating because part of our job is making these podcast episodes. And so we get to have the most delightful guests over for a chat, um, which, which is making this a lot more palatable. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I have a podcast a- that I've been doing for a while now, for like eight or yeah, nine Yeah, we years. were on it. We yeah. did a live mm, did thing with you show. in LA. That we was so fun. Show. That was very successful. And, um, you know, I enjoy, uh, we're about to start recording remotely for the first time ever. We did one episode in season one by phone with a senator, with a U.S. Senator, Alan Simpson, uh, uh, and it was a disaster, and we hated it. So we mm-hmm. never did that again. Everybody was in the studio. Everybody was face-to-face. And um, now we're about to do it this way, you know, the Zoom, so I can see them and read them, and we're going to start recording. I think next week we're doing a bunch of... Um, oh, we're doing good. about four or five of them that way because uh, you know, we have no choice. This is it. This is it. Well, what what are you? I mean, your podcast is great, and we look forward to hearing those episodes. We we normally do our podcast in our actual bed with the people, but can't why do that we, right why now. Why are you in bed now? Why? Oh, um, just because of the rig. Yeah, there's a there's more equipment for this. Strangely enough, than if we were in our actual bed. When when we do it uh, in real life with uh, in person, a couple of uh, of delightfully fragrant uh, young engineers come and and take care of the sound. So only one. Oh, you can only do it over the those. So the 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 the, uh, the virus has driven you out of the bed for the podcast. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Now, what do you do over there? Are you just chasing children around all day long, or are there other things happening? The day is the same. Uh, the kids, which were normally up like 5.30, 6, now they're up at like 6, 6.30. Mm-hmm. And it's homeschooling. My wife is homeschooling them from 9 to 12. The two smaller ones take a nap, hopefully. Usually they do. But they usually... You know, 80% of the time they get an hour or an hour and a half nap. And then they're up and everything is weather dependent. So if Jesus Christ were to call me on the phone at 2.30 and say, Alec, I have so much to tell you. I'd have to say, I have to call you back, Jesus. Because if the sun is out, if the sun is out, I say, thank you, Jesus, that the sun is out. Thank you for that. (laughs) <laughs> and we run out the door and we go do something outside. It really is that way because what I feel is the 
duty I have, what I feel is the obligation we have, is to try to make them not realize how weird all this is. Because they're kind of catching on to it now. You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. can't they see their friends? And why are we doing the same thing a lot of the time? And and it's really, uh, they're doing great. And the homeschooling is going fairly well. I mean, I was reading this article online uh, where they were saying how, uh, you know, I was I'm obviously I'm reading an infinite number of articles related to this where they were saying how the academics and the kind of ABCs of education for kids this age are becoming, uh, are, are no less important, but as important is a kind of emotional security for kids. And a part of the academic day has to talk about how we manage their feelings, you know, because they sense, they sense that things aren't normal. You know what I mean, they sense right. that mommy and daddy are home all day, and daddy either wants to kiss mommy and buy her a diamond ring or <laughs> throw her in a volcano. <laughs> um, it, it varies from a minute to minute. And like anybody where you're, uh, uh, you know, sequestered like this, it's weird. And uh, we're doing great because we're out of the city. Mm-hmm. You know, all my friends who are stuck in New York, they're really like super unhappy. Because when you go out the door, you can't really distance as well. Like out here... It, it's 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 perfectly safe and we're all good to go. Yeah, and you you have nature there, which is great. And how old is your oldest right now? Carmen is six. She'll be seven in uh, August. August twenty third. She'll be seven. Wow. And she's already like crashing my meetings on Zoom. She like sits on my lap in the middle of the meeting, and I'm I'm pitching something to the head of documentary, something very serious, like at CNN. And Carmen's like, "Hey, everybody!" And she like sits in on the call, and <laughs> she just walks in my room and. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> so, Alec, you, you know, I mean, you really have done, I mean, you, you're such a funny person, funny guy. And I mean, I have to say of, of all the people I've worked with, I don't know that there's anyone that, I mean, there's certainly no one better than you. I'm tempted to say that you're the funniest and one of, I mean, the most fun scene partner I've probably oh, that's ever so had. Sweet of you to say. Yeah, that's so sweet of you I mean, to we say. we had so much fun on Will and Grace, and you did a lot. Well, you did a ton of episodes. Um, the the last season of the first time around of Will and Grace, which was like t- two thousand five, two thousand six, that season. Yeah, you you did like half the episodes. You did a live episode. I did like with an us. arc of them with you guys. But you know what's funny is that I think when you do, I'm not just saying this to be nice to you. It's when you do this stuff for a living and uh, you work with people that you really like and respect. You know, like I've worked with people, and it's all like a, what I call the rule of three, everything is divided into thirds. One third of them I liked and loved and admired. One third of them I was like, meh, they're okay. And one <laughs> third of them I wanted them to crash into a mountainside. You know what I mean? I just, I just didn't really enjoy working with them at all. And, um, the, um, and, and you're obviously at the tippy top of the first category where when I was with you, I mean, you, everybody says the same thing, which is, you know, you watch a show and you watch that character evolve and you're the textbook case. Someone said to me, it was like Lorne or Robert Carlock. They said, watch Megan season one of her show. (laughs) And there was some shit she wasn't even like getting near. And then by the time it's season two and you're cut toward the end of season two, it's like, I got this. And you have all Mm -hmm. your thing, you know, you know, that character and you know what you want to do. And, uh, uh, yeah, that evolution yeah, was, is thrilling. It's thrilling to watch. You know? Oh, thanks, Alec. That's so nice. Yeah. It was weird because when I first started on, uh, Will and Grace at the very beginning, uh, the character just wasn't written the, the way that it, I mean, it just wasn't the same character. I mean, they were writing it sort of like just your average wisecracking sidekick. And, I feel like I, I, I was very consciously trying to bring in anything to think of that was kind of quirky. And so I would bring in, you know, this or that. And then they would normally like, like the things that I did. And then they sort of wrote to that. And then the character evolved into, 
you know, really original a real, and, a, and a, a much more original character. So that was kind of a fun. It was nice that it eventually got to that point. Um, and then you came back and did a bunch of episodes in the revival during the revival of Will and Grace. And um, gosh, it was so much fun. I remember we did two episodes. Didn't we do we did two episodes of yours in in two days? I think at one point. And we did that scene where we have we have sex without touching each other. Well, then, can I tell you something? When they, <laughs> what happened was, when I tell people this story, it's, I mean, to me, this is the most, this is perhaps the most preposterous thing that's ever happened in my career. <laughs> and that is, my wife said to me, I don't want you to kiss or, or have s- simulated sex with other women in your career. And I was like, well, the good news is, I mean, the, 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 the convenient thing about that is I'm, at that point, I was rounding the corner toward 55. So I was more likely to play the cop with a nightstick that tapped on the windshield and stopped two <laughs> other people from making out in a car. <laughs> I used to make out with the girl in the car and now I'm the cop on the beat, uh, 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 so forth. But, you know, my wife had a point. She was like, I mean, I don't know where they've been and you're going to kiss me and you're going to be with me. And I don't know how you show business people do this, but that's not cool with me. And I was like, okay. I mean, I was in love with my wife. And I and I said, and they called me about coming to do the show with you. And I said uh, to Max and, and Cohen, I said, I can't, I can't make out with, uh, uh, with Megan. I can't kiss Megan. I can't have anything to do with Megan that way because my wife doesn't want me to do that. And, and I, and I kind of get it. We've got kids and I'm kissing my kids and, and it was nothing specific to you. It just was in general. And, 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 and much Nick was like, aha. Okay. Huh? <laughs> really? Interesting. Okay. And then he comes back and we do that show <laughs> where it's all like, you like, aren't you going to miss this? <laughs> you start yeah. doing all those filthy <laughs> pantomime you were doing. Yeah. It was great. I know. They had told me, they told me that story that there was a moratorium on you, you know, touching or kissing <laughs> any other actresses ever again. And I did uh, think that was such a funny fix. Yes. And it ended up being a lot funnier than probably a, a million other things we could have. Oh my God. It was hysterical. Tried. It was hysterical. Oh, it's the yeah, best. it really was fun. Now, and Nick, that was. Nick, you know, because go ahead. That was what? Well, I was going to say, and then also in that same episode, uh, the actor, Charles Stevenson, who played the character of Smitty, yes. the bartender, you know, he had been on a million episodes, but always trapped behind the bar. And they finally, that episode with you was the first time they got him out from behind the bar and had him come in and do, we were kind of making out with with each other via Smitty, like, like, we would make out with Smitty and that he'd pass it transfer on. Yeah. To, he'd pass it on. So, <laughs> you know, that was when everyone discovered that he w- is actually kind of brilliant comedically. Like we always loved him and thought he was so funny, but it was sort of a one, he was sort of a one trick pony because he always had to do the same joke over and I over. I love that episode. And then he kind of burst out. Yeah, it was nice for him too. But it was, that's, that leads to the other awkward moment where we're on, on the set and you've got that cavernous set there and off to one side is the video village and the powers that be and all their guests seated in a little spot there. Uh, as you're facing the stages, obviously, to the right of that and uh, uh, the sets. And my wife is there with a couple of her friends. And the moment I had to walk up to my wife and go, does that include the old man? Am I not allowed to kiss the old man as well? Yeah. And she was like, yes, that includes the old man as well. So I had to kiss him on the cheek, like like adjacent to his mouth and, and cover it up. I had to cover it up with my shoulder like it was like, a, like I was Gable, you know what I mean, kissing Vivian Lee. Oh, funny. A very muscular kiss. You know? oh, I love it. Oh, I I missed that one. I didn't catch that in Nick, the moment. What's, Nick, what's the greatest, among the greatest moments for you? I mean, I can honestly say, you know, 30 Rock, we had a lot of fun. There's a countless memories there. But guesting on shows, because I've done some of that. And some of those shows I did, they weren't fun. They, they were okay. But True. Will and Grace, I had a ball only because I worshipped Megan. What was like, what was fun for you? Well, before before I answer that question, I, I want to say 
uh, and I can't remember if, if I mentioned this when we did your podcast, but uh, if so, forgive me. But when I was uh, when I was in high school, I had this girlfriend, uh, and we we had one of those tempestuous, like deep, deeply romantic relationships, a forever relationship. And uh, I, I learned in this relationship about it was the first time that I had sort of fallen, you know, that hard and, and that puppy love kind of way. And I learned about jealousy where uh, some situations occurred to where uh, she, you know, she went to the beach with a couple of guys one time or whatever. And I, and I learned about jealousy and that the answer to defeating jealousy was to simply make, to, to commit myself and, and give myself to the maintenance of my relationship in a way that I never need to worry that like, I I'm always aware of the health of the relationship enough that, that she, uh, she would never stray. And we were together for a few years. And from that day forward, I said, I'm never, I'm never going to, this is great. I'm never going to worry about another guy except Alec Baldwin. Wow. If you ever, if That's you the ever, highest compliment I've ever been. Paid. This is like 1987. I was like, if like if if you know crazily we ever run into Alec Baldwin, I would rather you didn't maybe you know go see a movie with that guy. Um, and <laughs> me so back I'm, then, yeah, me back then, yeah. Oh Christ, I had it I all mean, going on back then. Good lord, <laughs> yeah. If if you if you look up here, suit in the encyclopedia, there's a whole other volume with just pictures <laughs> of your forearms. Uh, As Pete Davidson said on <laughs> SNL one time, he said, I, he said that they showed up pictures of me before and after. They showed me when I was young and they show me now. <laughs> and he said, you look like you've been so, you look like you're like a log that's been floating in the ocean for a couple of years. <laughs> it comes you've to taken on a lot of water. Uh, no, you're uh. still, you're still devastatingly handsome. Now that we're, when, now that we're, you need your prescription check. Now that we're, <laughs> Now that we're being so candid, I want you to know that, that when we did our scenes together, Nick, and I admire you too, and I mean, you are her husband, and I, I have nothing but respect for you and your wife, but, but I want you to know that even though we did not have any physical contact that way, I did state to her, I did say to her, I don't want to lie to you, I said, under normal circumstances, if, if we were doing this the way we normally would, my tongue would be in your spinal column right about now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sure. You I just know, came right out and I said that to you. I'm sorry. I've seen, and, I've seen and movies. And you know when we in the, I'm sorry. What? I've seen movies. I, I know how it works. <laughs> and so I've seen, Alec, I've seen but, Pride of Lions. So do you remember the when we there was an episode back in you know the eighth season of Will and Grace, which was you know 2006 ish, where you your character uh, you, Malcolm and Karen, our characters, go to uh, go on a double date with uh, Grace and whoever her boyfriend was at the time, and. The joke is that we are sitting in a booth, right? You know, we're sitting right across from them in a booth and we are wildly making out the entire time to the extent that they can't eat. You know, I mean, yeah. it's super <laughs> gross. Okay, so I, I never, like, just historically, like, when there's supposed to be a kiss and something, I don't really, like, completely go for it. Um and but I thought, well, I kind of have to do it with this because, you know, that's the whole joke. Uh, so I was prepared to do that. But then when we got to the night of the taping. OK, so we're shooting the scene and not only is Nick standing directly in front of the set sandwiched in between the four cameras that, that you, yeah, he's you in shoot your a sitcom line. with. Yeah. He's in my eye line and he, with, and, with and, and they had him light him. They put a light on. Yes, like him. a like a pin spot. And <laughs> with standing with talking to and standing with both of them looking directly at us, your agent at the time, who happened to be my ex husband. Right. Catcher. Catch. Yeah. So that yeah. my big chance to make out, like fully make out with Alec Baldwin was Cruelly squelched. I think, I think behind them was your therapist as well. Yeah. Was your yeah. therapist. Yeah, all of my ex boyfriends. Your ex husband and your my husband. mom and father Tony. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So, Nick, so what was, like, the most fun job you've ever had? Or um, I should say among. Well, gosh. The TV series? Uh, was the TV series tons of fun? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, uh, much the same. I, I uh, so, Something came across my plate the other day where there was a bunch of memes of my character, Ron Swanson, and your character, Jack Donaghy, <laughs> like, uh, with, with a wonderful juxtaposition. Yes. There were... There are certain similarities yeah. where the, those genius yeah. goddamn writers did such an incredible job of of using our the the, the granite hewn foibles that we were born with yes. for the most incredible comedy fodder. And so, getting to work with those writers on on Parks and Rec and the cast, um, and you know, so one of the most incredible things happened. Uh, maybe this has become de rigueur by now, but. When we started that show, which we shot our first episodes in the spring of '09, I believe, um, Greg Daniels, uh, our co-creator and uh, of the American Office fame, came to the cast and he said, "Look, we're 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 not burning film here. We're shooting on digital media, uh, so we we no longer have the problem of like every frame is not precious, and so." You're all hired for the the rich flavors that you bring to this particular goulash. So anything, you know, we've written these scripts, we've labored over them. We want to try to make them work. But any idea that you have, I just want you all to feel free. You can try it. Like you're not going to get in trouble. If you something occurs to you that you think is a great idea. And he gave us permission on the very first day before we rolled a frame and you know, especially hearing stories from Megan about uh, what things were like in the '90s uh, when, when she's done all these pilots and sitcoms. When, like, if you deviated, if you if you turned an and into a a but, you would you were fired. Like, yeah. where where the script was considered uh, bulletproof. Um, and so, to be in that atmosphere of playfulness and freedom without punishment, of course, you know. As you can imagine, with with a cast of eight regulars, the first two episodes, we all masturbated furiously and said, oh, I think I'm going to spend three minutes making a hilarious sandwich uh, in the middle of this dialogue. <laughs> and we quickly learned, okay, that there's a there's a certain point where it becomes too much, but... But yeah, they, God, they generally, fun. like, even though you would do that at the end of a scene, you would do a, a take or two where you could experiment, they they generally didn't really use that much of that, right? I'd say, yeah, I'd say um, in any given episode, there was probably five moments that came yeah, from... Well, that's more than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, w- what happened is it, it got boiled down to where everybody would just went crazy, and then w- then we saw the first cut. And we said, "Oh, we don't have time to be fucking around like this." So only if you if you had an idea or an inspiration, 
you you would really say, okay, I, I think this is golden. Like this could make the show. Then you would sneak it in. But other than two, that, do the two of you have an overlapping demographic? Like, do people walk up and go, "Oh my God, it's Karen from Will and Grace," and you go, "And this is my husband, Nick," and they're like, "Oh, hi." Um, and, they, and they have no idea who you are, or the opposite, where they're like, oh my God, yeah. it's Ron Swanson. This yeah, is my wife, a, Megan. Oh, Yeah, there's a hi. little bit of that. There's a little bit of that. Like, a lot of his fans know me as the character I played on his show. Oh, I see. Because uh, I go. played his ex-wife, Tammy. And so a lot of people know me from that. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of everything. I mean, there's some people who don't know anything about him. There's some people who don't realize that we're married or that we even know each other. It's sort of interesting. But Alec, what's your favorite uh, job that you ever had? Gosh, I mean, t- I did this movie once called The Edge, which was not a good movie. Oh, my movie. God. I was going to ask you about this. Well, when it started out, it was weird because uh, Mamet had written a, a film that was very much of a psychological thriller. It was called Bookworm. And Tony's character was obsessed with books and reading, and he was this very intellectual and kind of nerdy guy, even though he was this uh, 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 Warren Buffett-esque billionaire. And this is Anthony to Hopkins. L. McSphere- yeah, he's married to Elle McPherson. And the movie was much more um, uh, psychological and Baroque and weird exchanges of dialogue and... The director, uh, uh, you know, whatever he didn't really get or understand, he cut. So we're there on the set in the Canadian Rockies, and he he was from New Zealand. He'd say, well, this exchange they've got on page 14 here, it does <laughs> tend to go on a bit with the dialogue. I thought maybe we cut the first four speeches here. <laughs> page 29, he does tend to ramble on a bit here. Uh... And I thought... And I thought, oh, wow, you know, that way that Dave is rambling on is the very reason I'm here, quite frankly. So whenever he didn't kind of understand how to play it or direct it, he just cut. And he wound up turning the movie ultimately into more of an action-adventure film than a psychological thriller. But I discovered the Canadian Rockies. I discovered Banff, all of Alberta. We shot everywhere. We shot in every corner of Alberta. Uh, we started rehearsals in August where we had to wear bug repellent in uh, the national park, the provincial park we shot in, in the beginning. And by the time we finished in uh, right around U.S. Thanksgiving, uh, we finished in Edmonton. It was 30 below zero. So we experienced a 100 degree temperature change wow. in 1996. And uh, it was the, it was the, when we landed we did a scene where we helicoptered to the top of Assiniboine, which is a big mountain peak. Uh, and when you look down south from there, you're literally looking down the ridge, like the back of a, of a triceratops. It's like you're looking along the spine of an animal going down, which is the Rocky Mountains heading south toward the U.S. And I burst into tears. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life, you know, covered mm. in snow. And uh, I loved... That was 1996. So it was a long time ago. That was the greatest time I've ever had. Mickey. I was working with Tony, oh. you know, who I Aww. worshipped. I just, I mean, he was my idol. And the movie, you know, it did not, they did not make a, a great film. There's a lot of good things. Here. The, the greatest thing about the film, other than Tony, was they had, and Mammoth's writing, the, the writing that was, that survived was Jerry Goldsmith did the music. It was beautiful music. I, I I love that movie so much. It's I mean it's it's Alec and Anthony Hopkins and a bear in the Canadian Rockies. But the what I, I was going to ask you a question about this movie because uh, I'm I'm such a sappy romantic and I love being outside and I love so the, one of the great things about Parks and Recreation was anytime we'd go shoot in the woods. I'd Chris Pratt, who's a hunter, and I would be in heaven, and the rest of the cast would be would hate it. They they hated being out where there's bugs and you know no air conditioning. But so that's always my dream. And but but I've learned by working in the business, you know, that like if we see a horse and carriage in in a uh, in, in in a Howard's End like some period movie going across the British countryside, I say, Oh my God, what a day of work to get to shoot that, to, to drive that, that coach and, and four and, and so forth. And then when you get, when you got to be careful because when your wish comes true, sometimes it's 
93 degrees and they give you four layers of period wool and the yeah. horses are assholes and so forth yeah. and so on or or there's no cushion your tailbone takes a beating yeah and so my question was going to be for me that the edge is one of the most dreamy jobs i could ever imagine and i was going to ask you would you talk me based on that like uh, the reality versus the fantasy would you talk me out of chasing that job <laughs> Or would you recommend the experience? The greatest example of what you're saying, oddly, it's so funny you should say that, because Harold Perrineau, who's an African-American actor everybody knows from Lost and all these TV shows he's done, and he's the sweetest guy. I love him. I love Harold. He was great. And Harold plays the character who uh, uh, were in rehearsals, and he was joking because we were talking about how they were going to shoot his death scene. He gets eaten by a bear. And Harold says that when he first read the script, he was like, Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins, and Harold Perrineau. I wonder which one the bear's going to eat first. <laughs> so we get to the scene. We get to the scene where Harold is is chewed upon, and we weren't there. We 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 get the night off, and they shoot, and they shoot it in the woods, in the forest there, and it's freezing cold, and they put the pipes up to make it rain, and they put. Harold's body inside the animatronic mouth of the masticating bear and the bear is going like this, like snapping its head from side to side and torquing like some horrible ride at an amusement park. And Harold's <laughs> getting just the living shit beaten out of him by this scene. He's getting completely overwhelmed. And I just looked at him the next day and I, I heard it was a really tough night. And I said, you know, Harold, always remember a script always reads better when you're tucked in your bed in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You know, you oh gotta you gotta God. you gotta say to yourself, there's movies I wanna see and there's movies I wanna make. Yeah, yeah I feel a big like people there. don't yeah, you know, I don't people don't really realize that something that will take one sentence to write in a script can take six days to shoot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a little different. Um, now wait, before we get too far away from the uh, from, we're talking about movies. Before we get too far out, away from the idea of making out with people, I happen to know that back in the day, and I don't want to get you in trouble at oh, home, no. but I happen to know that back in the day, a lot of actors, uh, when doing you know sex scenes, like shit happened. Did you ever have any experiences like that? Or? What, what are you driving at, Megan? What are you I'm driving I'm saying at? that sometimes... <laughs> what are your notes? What are your notes sometimes telling you? The, She's asking, what sometimes were you driving the, at? The, yes, well, who were you driving <laughs> at is what I'm asking. Sometimes there it wasn't as play pretend as <laughs> we'd like to, as we've been led to believe. I, I did a movie once, I'll never forget, and uh, uh, we, I did this very tepid little thriller with uh, Nicole Kidman. And Harold Becker was the director, and Harold had a very raspy voice, very heavy New York dialect. It was, you know, Harold Becker who did Sea of Love with Pacino and so forth. He did Taps. He did a lot of good movies. And Harold, who I really liked a lot, I loved Harold, uh, he was t indicating to me that in this scene, Nicole is in the other room with Bill Pullman, and he says, and she has to be... Uh, she can't sleep. She can't go to sleep because of the sound of you having sex. You have to be having this very, very, uh, you know, convulsive sex with this woman who was Deborah Farentino, Jimmy Farentino, who died, his wife, who I knew for years, who was a lovely woman. I loved Debbie Farentino. And I knew her from when she was on soaps and so forth, years like, like I was. And, uh, and we do the scene, of course, we're very chaste and you don't want to get anything wrong and you don't want to be some kind of a, of a, of a cretin. And Harold comes in and says, Alec, 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 you've got to be banging her right through the headboard. <laughs> he said, Nicole has to be up and she can't sleep because of the sound. And you guys got to be going crazy here. <laughs> and so she and I just looked at each other and we were like, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, we did uh, uh, we did the greatest approximation of a sex scene I think I've ever been involved with in my life. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Uh, well, um, I, I wanted to ask you about Saturday Night Live because, uh, first of all, you know that I take full credit for your entire uh, career <laughs> as a sitcom star. Yes. Just as a sitcom star. Because I 
based on your uh, hostings of SNL up to that point in the early 2000s when we were doing Well and Grace the first time around, I kept haranguing the producers of Will and Grace to hire you. And they did. And then right after that, you did 30 Rock. So I'm taking full credit for yes. all of it. Um, but what about hosting SNL? Because you're t- aren't you tied for all time uh, most hostings with maybe Steve Martin? Even if Steve Martin hosted 40 shows. His shows weren't as good as the shows. <laughs> sure. I don't think it's about numbers. It's, about, no. it's not about it's quantity. Quality. It's about quality. Yes. Oh, I mean, Steve Martin, who gives a shit about him? You know what I mean? Flavorless. Yeah. It's a kind of a dry toast kind of a thing. It's kind of a crusty old baguette of comedy. Um, no, but I, I, I actually give you credit going way past that. Megan, I don't know if you remember, but I was offered the role of Batman, and I called you, and you said, no, don't do that. Don't play Batman. You know, and uh, uh, no. you don't remember when I was offered Batman and I called you and you talked me out of it. Oh, and then, and, and, and then I got offered to play and then I got offered to play uh, 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 Iron Man and all those roles. I think what what is Robert Downey made now? Like 150, 200 million. He's and I called you and you said, oh, don't do that. Iron Man's so boring. You don't want to be. Iron I Man. didn't talk you out of that. No, but you that did talk me. You, you did. Uh, um, you did put the spell on me that uh, a comedy uh, is a blast. And I sat with you and you described the week. Well, yours was a four camera. Mine was a single camera. I, I, I failed to discern the specific difference between the two. So when I went to do my show, it wasn't driving a bucket of golf balls like your show was by comparison. Mm. But I went to go do. But you did have a huge role in that. You did make me see that it, it could involve some skill and craft and whatever and be fun and 30 rock which was stressful sometimes because it was single camera so it was long days and uh and we always um we shot everything so tina and the the network was like not you know attacking her but they were they they were they did chime in every now and then that if tina wrote a story and and you were sitting there with her and someone would say to liz lemon how was your date last night and rather than describe the date, they'd whip pan and they'd shoot the date. They'd shoot it. So they mm-hmm. shot everything. Mm-hmm. And they were, and, and everything, and there was, there was a lot of complaining about the cost of that. Like, why can't you just tell it rather than shoot it? So we did have you know, tandem units and a lot of people working really, really hard there. But it was, it was a blessing across the board. But I do, uh, uh, I do owe in large part the decision to do that experience to you. To you. Oh, that's really yeah. well. That's very nice. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, yes, I'm actually taking credit even beyond that for the 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 joy that you've brought the world with your comedy. I would really put your comedic timing up against any ones that I, I mean, that I. Isn't that funny you say that? Because I don't of. view myself as funny. I don't. Oh my god! <laughs> I view myself. I view myself as someone who says the lines. Well, you know, like I'll never forget Roger Daltrey. I always use the same quote. Roger Daltrey said, no one writes songs like Pete, meaning Townsend. He goes, and no one sings Pete songs like I do. You know, so I'm saying the lines that other people wrote. You know, I'm not a I'm not a comedian because I don't write. I don't write. Well, you're you're incredibly funny. I mean, you're funny in real life, but. But I think that you're onto something there because I've always said that there's really not that much difference between comedy and drama. In comedy, the only difference, the only thing that separates it from drama is that you're, you have to play it like drama, but you have to go too far. Like that's what makes it funny, I think, that, you know, when you're sad, you're the saddest anyone's ever been on the planet. And when you're happy, the same. And I think that that, is an element of what you're saying, you know, that you're, it's an exaggerated drama. I think that, that uh, you know, we're both blessed with great writers, you know, all three of us. Mm-hmm. Parks and Rec was well-written, well-oiled ship, great group of people. you got to have the right people. I, I'm the firm believer. Paul McCartney once said to me that uh, Ringo Starr had to go and do a, a bunch of gigs that he owed when he was in the Beatles 
in the early days, and they said to him, you know, we got to get into the studio and record a couple songs. And they brought in this drummer to replace him because Star was, uh, you know, had to leave. And they brought in a guy to come in and they said, oh, this guy's like the hottest drummer in all of London, you know, and we're going to bring this guy in to play. And, uh, um, and, and he came in and he played and he was, you know, one of the greatest drummers in all of London. And they said, you know, we don't want to do it with him, you know. It's the four of us, and that's it. That that's it. It's it's that chemistry, and I really believe if you took one, if Jane Krakowski didn't play Jenna, if uh, if Jack McBrayer didn't play his part of the five principals, and and including some of the more supporting roles, you know, uh, um, if 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 but of the five principals, if it wasn't those five people, you can never guarantee it would have been successful. I mean, a, an ensemble is an ensemble, yeah. and and I, I'm a firm believer that that uh, you know. Uh, uh, Lutz, you know, if John, if John didn't play Lutz, it would have been different. It would have been the yeah. show would have been like a little gyroscopically different, you know, and mm-hmm. what we've all been blessed with is the three of us is we've been on shows where they got exactly the right people to play those parts. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen now? Uh, like, you know, post pandemic um, with that business, the business of making television and making movies. Well, I wonder, I spoke to somebody who talked about in some kind of really admittedly exaggerated way. I mean, they were being very exaggerated. They said, hey, listen, man, if things don't get, you know, uh, if we don't get, you know, forget about a vaccine, if we don't get into a a more predictable model by September, they said, what are we going to do? We're going to put up mobile homes on the set of Fox and have the crew test for, for for COVID and everybody comes on the lot and you don't leave. Mm-hmm. Right. And you and they feed you and you live there and you can't see your family and you can't go anywhere. And we all get isolated and locked down like we're in the army. And they rotate them every three or four weeks. One part of the crew goes home. They work four weeks, they go home. Another group comes and works four weeks and they go home. And we shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. Let's say you're doing a, a movie. Let's say you're doing a streaming series where it's like, you know, and, and everybody's going to have to get tested and have their temperature taken every day that they walk in the building. But you're not going to be able to leave and go outside to the outside world. And I thought, boy, that's, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I'd sign up for that for a period of time because we got to go to work. We got to go to work, you know. Well, I just think it's going to be tricky to get people to, uh, you know, spend that amount of time without being with their families. I mean, I, no, I, it's I almost agree, like I you'd have to move the whole family to into some kind of situation. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is that, that if, you're, if, if, you're fa- if your kids aren't going to school, if society is still locked down to some degree or there's some limitations, if my, like my, we're out here on Long Island and we're thinking if the kids aren't going to go to school in the fall, we're going to stay here. And I've got friends of mine that are thinking about putting their kids in school out here. And I'm thinking, well, if we're out here, we'll just put the kids online with their school again, because it's like when you're online, it doesn't matter whether we're in Vienna or Argentina, who gives a shit? Now, with that idea, this guy was telling me, he was saying how uh, uh, everybody would be away from their families for a specified amount of time. So let's say the shoot was 10 weeks or 12 weeks. So you'd have three crews working for four weeks each mm-hmm. so that you come in, you'd make some money, go home. And other people would have the option to sign on for the whole 12 weeks. You want to stay for 12 weeks like you're in the Army or in the Navy and you're Yeah, deployed. if you're single, yeah. If you're single and you want to make the money, you know, they're going to, they're also, going to come up with something. Yeah, and if they write the script in such a way that your storyline is only with, say, two other actors, then they could shoot out your entire storyline yeah. in a shorter amount of time. It's either that or Nick and I have a show together, which is where we tattoo our private parts live on camera, which I think a lot of people <laughs> would want to. I think a lot of people would want to get into that. It's weird because you guys have been doing that throughout this whole podcast. And I really do think that <laughs> I it's, told you we should have sh- rolled on, on it. <laughs> we should. Yeah. I told you <laughs> don't turn off it. that camera. Oh, man. You said, no, let's turn this off. It's, it's not right. Another <laughs> missed opportunity. Well, listen, I want to say my love to you. You say words like extant 
and de rigueur. <laughs> and I want to just blow you both a kiss and say oh, my love to you. so sweet. Nick. Well, let me just say that this has been another incredible installment of In Bed with Nick and Megan with the glorious Alec Baldwin. Alec, you were saying to Nick? My love to you, Nick. My love oh, to you, Alec. It's so sweet. great to talk to you. And I don't need to say I love you again to you, Megan. I've said it so many times. I think, oh, we've, had, I think we've had plenty of that, <laughs> we've had uh, of that content. Alec, there's still time <laughs> for us, is all I'm going to say. <laughs> there's, still, there's, still, there's still spinal fluid to be plumbed. There's still time. <laughs> We're both still breathing. So you never know what's right around the corner, is all I will say. Good night. Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.